This is Sean Smithgall and Taylor Stuber, your host of the PGT Podcast. This is the podcast where we explore different topics related to postgraduate training preparation for pharmacy students. Through our series, we hope to give a down-to-earth, enticing discussion on how to prepare for postgraduate training application. The topic today is residency showcases. Right. And we have a guest speaker with us, Dr. Rachel Legg. She's a fellow at USA Family Medicine. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Rachel. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. Showcases. First question. Like what? When we talk about showcases, what, what are we talking about? What- I only went to one, but there's more local showcases. And then there's a big national one that ASHP throws every year at their annual conference. So you went to the actual, the big yeah. ASHP residency showcase. Yeah, there was one. So I went to school in Connecticut. So a lot of people went to the New England or Northeast one, which was in Boston, but those were only local programs and I was looking nationally. So I skipped over that and just went straight to the ASHP one. All right. What were your thoughts going into that showcase? I was really nervous. I think it's hard to like understand the full magnitude but that conference is crazy. It is crawling with people. It's really intimidating because everyone's walking around in suits and everyone looks so fancy. And you think to yourself, how am I supposed to compete with these people? They're probably awesome. And Las Vegas doesn't have very good food. So I didn't feel very fueled. Um, (laughs) But I was nervous, you know, because it felt like a big deal. You know, this is, I wanted a residency to take the next step towards a career in AmCare. So there was a lot of weight resting on the two days. So did you feel it was necessary to attend? That's a good question. I still don't know. Everyone says that it's important to attend to have face-to-face with, you know, someone there. Usually you're not actually talking to a residency director, but one of the residents versus just having your application sent in. But I really don't know if they remember everyone. A lot of people find it helpful in terms of deciding what programs they want to apply to. But I also think it's hard to get a sense for the program by just talking to one resident for five minutes. Yeah. Taylor, what did you think? Did you attend? Yeah. So I, I attended two years, actually. So I attended as a P3 pharmacy student and then as a P4 I didn't really talk to anybody as a P3. I just more or less went to get my nerves out and wait till I was a P4 to actually go and talk to programs. Yeah, it is very overwhelming in my experience. And, and being on the other end, actually being at the showcase and being one of the preceptors at a, at a program, um, it's a very different and you can tell people are nervous and are intimidated. But I guess my thoughts kind of seeing it from both sides now is that really what the point of it is, is, is just for applicants to get a better sense of where they want to apply. I agree with that 100%. I felt like it's just a way to weed out. But when I was a student, I had like 30 programs because every time you look at one of these programs, you're like, it sounds amazing. You read like the residents, you, it's like Vanderbilt University. Oh, this is amazing. I got to go here. Oh, and you know, University of Washington, I gotta go there and uh, Chicago. And it's like, how do I, how do I narrow down my list to an actual reasonable number I can afford? So I found it very useful for narrowing the programs down. I found it more from a can, like it's more beneficial, like you're saying for the candidate or the student that's going through it. Tips and tricks. Um, If you want to go to a really popular program. So for me, that was UNC Chapel Hill, hit it at the very beginning of whatever session they're at if possible, you'd think that's the wrong answer. And maybe it'll be different this year. But you know, people like to warm up before they go to the one that's really important to them. So if you have a big program like that, 
hit them at the very beginning, there'll be fewer people there. How, how often did you, speaking of that, did you have to like group interview? Like where you're talking like most of the time. Most of the time. I would say for those bigger programs, especially that are very popular, you're going to have to expect to be in a group of people talking versus one-on-one with a, with a resident or a program director. I often see where I've, I've been in some, sometimes where it's five or six people per mini interview group. Yeah, there was one, I don't remember what program it was, but I actually managed to get the resident one-on-one. And then while I was talking to them over, I don't know, seven minutes or something, we added like four people to the group. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, also don't be afraid if you see a resident talking to people, don't be afraid to step in and be like, hey, can I join the conversation? You know, you don't have to be invited in, just be polite about it. Yeah. And I think that's a great point because like I was in that situation where I was talking first and then people kept joining in and you feel like, can I leave? Can I step away? I've, they're can. starting to ask questions that I've already asked. And, you know, we get, so don't be afraid to yeah, reach out and say, is really not like pausing. It's really nice to meet you. I'm, I, I have to, to run along. Yeah. Um, I try to hit it in between a question. Exactly. You don't yep. really interrupt. And sometimes the other people ask interesting questions that aren't the main things you're asking about. So it can be really helpful. Most embarrassing moment. I don't know that I really had like an embarrassing moment, but the whole experience felt kind of embarrassing because I'm not the most comfortable networking, talking to people. And well, it was embarrassing for other people when they would straight up hand someone their CV. I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, we were told don't hand CVs because they're they have to put that in their suitcase and lug it back to wherever they're going. So they the won't. chances of them doing yeah, they're very slim. I guess I don't really have a specific embarrassing moment that I can think of, but I, I can think of from a being on the program side of things, some awkward moments maybe. You've already mentioned kind of when they come up and hand you their CV or, or things like that. It's a little interesting for them to do that unless they're asked to, but one of the one of the things that really kind of rose me the wrong way is is when people come up with their list of questions and they are just sitting there and looking at going through and reading it line for line word for word and not even looking at you and having a conversation which is really what I think is what the showcase is supposed to be doing so make sure you're engaged in the conversation and let it flow let it be natural have an idea of what you want to ask before you go up there and and don't sit there and read your questions engage with that person And if you do, and it's okay if you want to write down some answers, in my opinion, but just don't spend the whole time just looking down at your paper. Look at the person. Taylor, I have a question for you. So from the perspective of someone who was representing a program, the advice that we always got in school was don't ask questions that you can find on their website. So that was part of the reason I did a lot of research, but I also tried to ask open-ended questions. When I was talking to residents, a lot of people asked about staffing requirements and that really stuck out to me as something that I thought people shouldn't be asking about, but maybe that's fine. What is your opinion? Yeah, I guess guess I've always been told the same thing is don't ask about staffing and, and asking about how many hours or how many weekends do you have to staff? I guess those don't stick out to me when I'm, whenever I'm representing the program. Now, if they, they came up there and just say, how many weekends do you have to work? Maybe that would. But if they're asking more in-depth questions about the staffing, what kind of staffing requirements are there? Are you doing clinical services on the weekends? Are you staffing in the evenings? Are you doing central operations pharmacy? Having more depth with a question about something like staffing, I think would be more appropriate than just asking straight up, how many hours are you working extra or how many weekends do you have to work? So 
I guess my my question for you, for you, Sean and Rachel, is when you all were developing questions to ask programs, what resources were you using? What types of questions were you, would you say to ask would be the best to ask kind of being on that topic? I will say from my career of asking questions that I would change the questions I got at the time when I was a student, I thought I was, you know, the king of the mountain. So I was like asking questions. Like, These are the best questions I could ever ask somebody. These are the most amazing questions. I think retrospectively they weren't because they didn't get at the things that you want to get at that aren't relevant on the website. I, I would always try to ask questions about the character of people, the relationships at the place, and then just general excitability and enjoyment in their job. And those questions translate into questions like, what's the relationship like between the pharmacist and the residents? What's the relationship like between other healthcare providers at the clinic? Things that they're not going to say on their website. Like, we have great relationships with our doctors. You know, they're going to say that. Talking about like, what gets you excited going to work every day? What, what do you enjoy doing as a resident? Just things that you can't get other than talking to that individual. And also those questions help you say, like you were saying earlier, Taylor, if they, you could tell on their faces if they enjoyed it or if they were just burnt out. And so those are the things that made me want to look back and say, do I want to apply to this program? Or is this a program that is giving me a bunch of red flags? And when they couldn't answer questions like that, they, they're like, well, I can't really answer that. I can't really answer this. It's red flags that they're not doing those things or they're not confident about those things. What about you, Rachel? What do you think? I know, I think you brought up a good point of, yes, you should do some research and look at their website and make sure you're not asking questions that are available on the website. What kinds of things were you asking about? I actually just Googled like good questions to ask in an interview. And it was this just like list of 80 questions. And then I took a couple that were very broad and weren't specific to any kind of job. So a couple that I asked a lot of programs were, well, if I got to talk to the program director, or if I was talking to a resident, I would ask, what their management style was, or I'd ask the resident, what is the management style of your residency program director? I also asked, how would you describe the culture of the workplace? Then another one, if I talk to a program director, which I talk to a few, they're kind of hard to get to sometimes, although I don't know that they remember anyone, so maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but I asked what they're most proud of about their program. Yeah, I like those questions. I would say my RPD said she didn't want to talk to people. She said they shouldn't, talk, like in terms of like trying to talk to the RPD, at least mine was like, I, I don't want to talk to the people. That's what y'all are here for. I don't, you guys talk to them. Not that she was, a, you wouldn't talk to them. She just was like, this is for them to talk to you, not me. They're there was talk a to me. big line. I, I just moved on. Moved. But if they were open, I would go introduce myself and ask a question or two. Sure. Uh, what about business cards? I did business cards on the advice of classmates and possibly the uh, pharmacy faculty at my school, although they themselves were kind of conflicted. I thought it was kind of a better safe than sorry situation. It turned out that pretty much everyone had business cards. I don't know whether they're useful to the program, but also I was glad that I wasn't a person who didn't have a business card because some of the programs are so used to everyone handing them that they were like, you would say, thank you so much for talking. It was nice meeting you. You know, it'd be like your exit speech and they'd be like, oh, do you have a business card? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to not have one. Whether or not it's a useful system, I can't comment on that. I think some tips I've seen is, or some things that students have done with technology, it's very clever, is putting like a QR code on their business card that links to their CV. I did that. You did that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think also that's had my really picture cool. on it. That just shows not only that 
hey, there's their CV, but here's somebody who's who has some ingenuity when it comes to like displaying themselves in a technological fashion. And then I would use their cards that they gave me to write down a couple notes. Because when you write their thank you card later, it's like, what were the three take-home points that I can write my thank you card that will make me stand out? So do you do thank you cards or thank you emails? Because I didn't either because I didn't know it was something we were supposed to do. And I found it a little too late and was like, oh, hopefully that wasn't a problem. Who knows? But do they actually get the mail or do you send an email? To be 100% honest, I can't even remember at this point if I even sent them or if I just thought about sending them and if they were cards or emails. I think I sent cards. I'm pretty sure I did. And I mailed them. But this was back in 2013. 2014. So it was a little different than nowadays. I think email will be a lot more acceptable. What do you think, Taylor? Yeah. So I, I think it's okay. And I don't think you need to feel obligated to send it to every single person you talk to or every program you talk to, you know, they're talking to hundreds of candidates each day, but if you do, I think email is, is perfectly fine. Now this day and age, one of the things that just commenting from my perspective now on the other side is I don't really see a whole lot of emails or thank you cards come my way and, I, and it doesn't really bother me in a sense. Now, if you have a program that really stands out to you and y'all seem to really kick, kick it off really well, then I'd say go for it. Um, there's nothing, there's no harm in sending a, sending a card or an email. Yeah. They try to scare students with a point-based system and they're like, if you don't send a thank you card, you don't get a point. I don't or, think or that's whatnot. on most rubrics. It's not on most rubrics. And if it even yeah. is, it's probably insignificant. Interviews on, on the other hand, that's, that's a different story. We can, we'll talk about that in another episode, but yeah, I did think of my most embarrassing moment now that we, did that you? I want to hear it. About these. So with my uh, CVs, We've kind of talked about nobody really hands CVs and and does that. So whenever I was at mid-year for my P4 year and I I got all my business cards ready and all my CVs on very nice resume paper and everything and printed them off and spent, spent a whole day trying to get them all perfect and everything and put these really nice laminate covers on them. And I went with that, went there with about 20 CVs ready to hand out. I came back home with 20 CVs. So <laughs> spent all that time and money and effort to do that. But um, I do really like that. That being said, I do really like having the business card exchange. I think that's really kind of a, a good professional thing. So I'd say go ahead and do the business cards. I think it's a, I mean, it's not a make or break thing, but I think it just looks really nice and something that you could use in the future as well when you're going on interviews and everything as as well. Absolutely. One last topic. I want to say one thing real quick about is it necessary to attend? Because we talked about that earlier, but uh, we did talk about the regional and local showcases. So if you're wanting to stay regional or local, and y'all let me know what you think about this. My perception is that it's perfectly fine to not attend ASHP's mid-year, especially because of the cost and the burden on the cost, depending on where it is in terms of location. Like this next year, it's close to us. So you could just drive there in an hour and a half. But a lot of times students have to fly and share a hotel room. So if you know you want to be local or regional and those programs are available at a local or regional showcase, there's really no need to go to mid-year. It's not a requirement. And that's that's my perspective as well. So I've had students come up to me and ask, they're, they're planning to stay local and in the state or the surrounding areas um, or the surrounding states. And they ask, do I need to go to mid-year because I'm just trying to stay local? And so I tell them, no, you can go to the 
our state has this uh, regional residency showcase every year. It, it usually happens in late September, early October, and they can just go to that and they can actually introduce themselves to a lot of programs that are even in the surrounding states and, and the local programs as well. So I think that that's perfectly acceptable. And now it's probably very, it's going to be maybe similar to mid-year, but just on a very much smaller scale. But all the same etiquette and everything still applies to that. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah. And so one exception to that would be PPS. Rachel, did you do, are you familiar with, did you do PPS? I did not do it. Some other people in my class did, but I know very little about it. Okay. So PPS, personal placement services. Uh, I know I did it after pharmacy school, postgraduate training. I did it later on when you're seeking specialty or even in a job. Did you do it when you were a pharmacy student, Taylor? I did not do it when I was a pharmacy student, but the program that I eventually matched to was a, which was a two-year program, pharmacotherapy, PGY1 and PGY2. They actually did do PPS. Now they didn't require that you do it as part of having to apply there, but you could, you had the option to. So for example, whenever I was in my PGY one year, we, we went to mid-year and we interviewed people to take on the PGY one spot the next year. And so we, there's programs that do it, but that don't actually require it, but it's just kind of an option to get, get to know them a little better, a little bit better on a one-on-one basis. But I'd say just check if you are interested in some of those, either like health administration type residencies or any, anything that's kind of a specialty or two-year program, those would, I would just suggest looking up if they require required to do the PPS or personal placement services. Yeah, I know, especially if you're doing industry fellowship, I know that is one that you, if you don't yeah. do PPS, you will not get in with them. Yeah. And for, for our, for our uh, listeners who aren't really familiar with PPS, do y'all want to just explain what it is a little bit? Sure. I'd be happy to talk about my perception of it. It's a giant room like the showcase. It's just a bunch of cloth little rooms that were created in this giant warehouse like room. And so you get, there's a gatekeeper, you go past it. Once you're in, it's sort of similar to the showcase where everybody's got their own booth and programs will have more little rooms or less little rooms. But each of these little cloth rooms are really just like interview rooms. You go in them, you interview the person for like 15 something minutes because you sign up for time slot and then you're done. And so it's like a, it's like a short brief interview. You sit down, they ask you some questions. You have the chance to ask them some questions. It's usually like a preliminary interview. I've never seen it as being the final interview because every time I did PPS when I was a PGY2, seeking PGY2, and when I was seeking a career in academia, it was just to get my foot in the door and then I get offered on-site interviews next. So it's kind of like what we would consider today's Zoom pre-interview or like the teleconference interview, kind of like that, but it's in person. That's all the time we have today. Rachel, thank you for joining us for this session. Happy to be here. Thank you all.